my goodness, I just wish the preaching was half as good as the music. During, during rehearsal, I stood back there somewhere and I said, any fool ought to be able to preach after that. I'm the one that gets to. <laughs> my heart is so full. I cannot express to you the fullness of my heart tonight. But one of my pet peeves is preachers that get up and talk when they ought to be preaching. So turn to Matthew 8. And we're going to talk, how good, talk about how good God is to us. You sang that like you believe that. You sang that like you mean that. You sang like that like you experienced that. And uh, I grew up, when I was a little kid in a little country church, and every now and then on Sunday night, the pastor just stepped around. He said, I want to hear a testimony. You know, now we're not going to do this tonight, so just, just cool your jets. I don't, I don't want anybody to stand up and testify right this minute. That's between you and the Lord right now. But, but, but Joey, a song would have gone that well, and no pastor, he would have stepped around and said, I just want to hear somebody talk about how good God's been. Do we have a testimony? And uh, I was sitting there listening to that. I thought if there was about 150 people less, I might just do that tonight. But I'm not going to. I'm going to back up. But I just went back to my roots there for just a minute. Anybody grow up in that kind of church? You know, and I mean, people just get to testifying, and sooner or later, the pastor would give an invitation, and somebody mess around and get saved, you know, just because of people's testimony. But uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8 tonight. Let me read this passage to you, and, and it's just my style to do this, the way God's kind of bent me and, and shaped me. We'll come back through it verse by verse. We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 34, but I want to back up. Don't freak out up there. I'm going to read some verses that I've not given you. Just easy. You're okay, man. We're good. We're cool. What's your name? You all right, man. So I'm going to start in verse 23 because I want us to grab the context of this. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Mind you, this is fishermen in a boat that are afraid. You understand? This was the real deal. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? As a side note, it's the only time in Scripture we see Jesus get to take a nap and somebody woke him up. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly... It didn't calm down over time. Suddenly there was a great calm. And his disciples were amazed. They're in awe. Who is this man, they ask. Even the winds and waves obey him. Hmm. He's more than just a man. Our focal passage. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men were possessed by demons, met him. They lived in a cemetery and were so violent that no one could go throughout through that area they began screaming at him why are you interfering with us son of God have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance so the demons begged if you cast us out send us into that herd of pigs the only thing Jesus says in this exchange alright go Jesus commanded them 
So the demons came out of the men, entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what happened to, that demon, to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. And if I could just read just a few verses further, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Jesus left good ministry. Jesus left productive ministry. Jesus left crowds to get in a boat to experience a storm to go meet a couple of crazy guys in a cemetery and touch their lives and change them forever to get in a boat to go back across the lake. That's how good Jesus is. Let's take this apart for a minute. These men, <laughs> these men in verse 28, I mean really two men possessed by demons living in a cemetery. These are probably burial caves. And, and in Jewish life, because of the constant contact with death, they're in a cemetery, they're in these burial caves. These guys are forever unclean and unwelcome in Jewish culture. But they're so violent, no one wants to be there anyway. I mean, these guys, I mean, everybody with the, the, the lunatics out there in the cemetery. These are the most down and out people you can imagine. These are the most uh, put aside and out of sight. I mean, at the point, at the point people have been put so far away that they're living out there in the burial tombs. These guys are only visible when they had to go bury somebody else. And it says they're so violent that people wouldn't even go there. These are two throwaway individuals as far as the culture's concerned. These are a couple of people that as far as the culture is concerned, when they die, we will be better off. They're a problem, and there's no further we could put them from society. They are a stain, and they cannot be controlled. They cannot be trusted, and there's no farther place we can put them than where they are. They have no value. It's as if they're dead living in the graves but Jesus shows up and what we find in the next couple of verses is a unique thing in Jesus ministry we're privy to a supernatural conversation these demons speak to Jesus now Let's look at those. Let's look at that again. Don't let me get ahead of myself here. Don't, don't, don't let. Verse 29. Look at this verse. They began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us? What's the next three words? Anybody? They knew exactly who Jesus was. They had no problem screaming out. 
the identity of Christ. They knew, oh, you believe in one God, you do well, the demons believe, and they shudder. These demons could not help but identify Jesus Christ. They do better than some Baptists. That's not tonight's message. That was just extra credit. They began screaming at him, You are interfering with us, Son of God. Have you come to torture us here before God's appointed time? You know what that means? They know there's a time for them. And the clock is ticking. They know that the one who will redeem us will destroy them. And they know it. And we're privy to this supernatural conversation. And it's almost as if they're evoking the name of Christ to rebuke him. It's not your time yet. It's not your turn. Our master is the prince of this world. You can't be coming. Jesus, son of God, you're not here to mess with us now. It's not your time yet. Anybody here ever tried to correct Jesus? These guys may really be Baptist. They may really be. They may be Baptist. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I think I know these people. We looked at this passage yesterday. We looked at this passage yesterday. Whether they want to know it or believe it or not, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus, in Matthew 12, 28, he says, If I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, you know what? Then the kingdom of God has arrived. Oh, it is my time. It's my time. With the arrival of Christ, the end times have begun. It's his time. It's his time. Now they're trying to, they're trying to go, man, it's not your time yet. It's not your time yet. Here's a problem. You guys aren't sovereign. Jesus is. And he's on time. He is absolutely on time. And notice, he's not said anything yet. They've declared who he is. They've tried to correct his timing. And the sovereign of the universe is quiet. kids ever look at you and say now before you say anything let me tell you the whole story some of these kids over here they don't even have kids they're like yeah they're mean they mean I did that yeah I've, absolutely I've done that I did that and when you're eight or nine years old your mom and dad are the sovereign you know they're the ones because they control your life you know you don't have anything without them and that's exactly what's going on here. It's like, hey, it's not your turn yet. I mean, you're the son of God, but it's not your turn yet. And Jesus is quiet. 
And then what do they do next? They, they begin the negotiation step. Because once you know you're not going to get your way, let's start to negotiate. Maybe they're Baptist children. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> I'm familiar with this role right here. You know, There's so many sidelines in this right here. Verses 30 and 31. So there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you're going to cast us out. And there's not really a question here. This, this is not, this is a rhetorical tool. It's, it's, it's more like, when you cast us out, <laughs> would you at least cast us into the pigs over there? Would you at least do that? And the three words that Jesus speaks. All right, go. Understand something. They didn't go on their own. They didn't go when they wanted to go. Jesus didn't listen to their argument. But when he said, all right, go, what'd they do? They went. We talked yesterday about the authority of Jesus. All authority is his. And while Mary Laura, he was fully man, he was the sovereign of this created order. And he spoke to those demons and said, go. And they did not ask any questions. Listen to this. At that moment, those two men were free from the grave. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, but they're just right there. I mean, they weren't dead, but, but were they? Because my Bible says that before Christ, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And these guys are as good as dead, living already in these tombs, in this graveyard. And Jesus shows up. And he frees them from their graves. And he gives them life. He give, I know the hogs are going to run into the pigs and all that stuff. I'm wanting to, listen, listen, the most important thing, oh, poor pigs. I'm sorry. You and I, human beings, are the highest in the created order. And the sanity and the salvation and the sanctity of life is far more important than any animal at any place, at any time, any way you want to make it. So forget about the pigs right this minute. There's two men whose lives have been radically changed by the goodness of Jesus Christ. And he left a big crowd. And he came across a stormy body of water to find the two most unlikely and uncared for people and to speak into their eternity and to free them from the grave you understand that if you were dead in your sins and your trespasses at the moment you were saved Christ freed you from the grave they're going to have a funeral for you one of these days. And they're going to put your body in the ground. You are not going to be there. 
I, I believe the way I understand scripture that these guys never went back to the grave again, Scott. Do you see the goodness of God in that? Oh God, you're so good to me. You're so good to me. And these guys, they go to town. I mean, they, <laughs> the herdsmen actually go to town. The herdsmen go to town. In verse 33 and 34. It's a strange little thing that goes on here. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town. They fled. They fled. They ran like they're afraid of something. We had the two absolute lunatic guys, demon-possessed in the graves. And now that they're okay and the pigs have run off in the seat, they fled. They ran to town to tell everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. Did you catch that? They're not talking about the pigs either. They're talking about the two men. Good move. And the whole town comes out to see them. But they beg Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Alfred Plummer, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, Fear in the presence of the supernatural is common in man. And dislike of the presence of greater holiness, holiness is especially natural in those who know that their own lives are quite out of harmony with heaven. I used to have a barber there in Salmon. And man, he's just the neatest guy and the most humble guy and just a gentle man. And, and uh, I'm a fairly patient person, but I'm just not going to go to the barbershop at 10 o'clock and sit there and wait on a chair, you know. I know I'm not too good. I just don't. But I also know he went to work early. And I'd be there on a Tuesday morning at 7.30. He didn't open till 8. And I'd go in and get my hair cut. Before the barbershop's ever open, a lot of times, I'd be done and out the door. He never complained, and I never asked if it was okay. It's just kind of how it worked, you know. And I wasn't the only customer that did that. There were some others. But I'd be in that barbershop every now and then, and people would come in, and sooner or later, there's seven or eight guys sitting in there waiting to get a haircut or something. And somebody would start to tell off-color jokes or something. And you could just tell by the rhythm of his snipping in my hair. He was getting a little more uncomfortable, a little more uncomfortable, a little more uncomfortable. And sooner or later, he'd whirl my chair around and just say, Have you met the pastor at the Baptist church? <laughs> and this, that was his shy way of saying, Please shut up. You don't know who's in here. <laughs> That's what Alfred Plummer is talking about here. A dislike of the presence of a greater holiness. I'm not holy. But I'm sitting there in that chair quietly. And the language and the stories are getting worse and worse. And the barber would get uncomfortable with that in the presence of someone that he knew that offended. Or he knew would, would not be comfortable or would not approve or appreciate. And it's especially natural in those who know that their own lives are quite out of harmony with heaven. How do we see the goodness of God in this? Just two or three things I want to I point out to us. You aren't too messed up to be made whole. 
you aren't too messed up to be made whole. And, and by the way, if you're sitting here tonight, you're thinking, well, I'm not messed up. That's your first problem. <laughs> I got a little, this is a terrible thing in my office. This, this, I, one of these days, I'm going to start, a, start a, a, an anonymous Twitter feed. It's going to be bad pastor. Hashtag bad pastor. I feel like him sometimes. Why are you laughing so hard? So the people that know me are laughing at that. I'm not sure. But I've got this thing, a little thing in my office that says, he who is without sin should lighten up just a little bit. Um, that doesn't mean you should go sin. It means you need to get a reality check. We're all a broken mess. Scripture doesn't say that some of us were dead in our sins and trespasses. All of us. All of us. I think sometimes some of us who grew up in Christian homes and grew up in a church we lose sight of the fact that we were going to hell before Jesus saved us. I don't care if you were six years old, 16 years old, where you were along the way. You were doomed and damned and headed to hell. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. So it's just okay. We're, we're all broken and in need of Jesus. We're all messed up and in need of Jesus. And I don't care how well put together you may think you are, or you may be sitting here tonight and going, you know what, you can't imagine the mess that I am. Praise God, you're in the right place. You ought to be in the safest place in Hattiesburg, Mississippi tonight. There shouldn't be anybody that walks in the door of this church in a church filled with people who were once dead and now alive, look around the corner and go, ooh, I'm not sure about that. It ought to be filled with people who look back and go, that was me. You're not too messed up to be made whole. I'm going to tell a story that's a little bit older because I can tell the entire story. Tommy was a kid that He ran a tattoo shop for an Aryan gang. And he had addiction problems. You say, well, what was he addicted to? What have you got? Addiction was what he did best. Tattoos was what he did second best. And prejudice was third. Quite the guy you'd love to have your daughter bring home. No, he was a train wreck federal authorities the tattoo shop he ran actually belonged to the gang and federal authorities started busting some of the stores and businesses that that gang owned Tommy didn't have any federal warrants but he's like you know what if they're busting our stores I'm out of here and he ran and he left the gang it wasn't because he wanted out of the Aryan gang it's because he didn't want to go to a federal penitentiary <laughs> nothing righteous here it was totally self-serving but God was in it he landed in our town because three hours from Walmart seems a good place to hide. It's actually not. If you wonder what you're doing in San Idaho, ask someone else. They'll tell you. <laughs> you can't hide in our county. That's not how it works at all. 
so he shows up and he finds a job and he goes to work and he did that to support his habits and of course very quickly he got a DUI bless his heart he got busted by a Baptist deacon deputy deacon as I refer to him and uh, he lost his driver's license and he still needed a job so he went down to a convenience store slash fast food place and got a job to support his habits and and bless his heart the gal that manages that is our worship leader now see the goodness of God is already all over his life and he has no clue And he was needing to do some things for community service. And one of our guys said, come hang, hang out with some of our men at church. And we've got this men's event we're putting on. And you can help and you can get some hours that way. And he's like, I don't care what I'm doing. That's fine. And he came and he showed up one day. And here's what he found. He was working with some retired guys in their 60s and 70s. And here was a young, strapping, 20-something-year-old guy. And you know what he was. He was good help. And a couple of guys pat him on the back and say, good job, Tommy. Tommy's not had that in his life ever from a man. And by the end of the day, he loves these guys. Because he can mop a floor a little bit and they'll go, good job, Tommy. And he's going to mop a little more. And he'll carry something. They'll say, good job, buddy. Way to go. And he'll carry something else. We probably about killed him that first day. But he was getting poured into him good job young man you're doing a good job thanks buddy we appreciate you being here within two weeks Tommy's getting saved Tommy's getting baptized now he's a sleeved up tattooed smoking foul mouthed addicted mess prejudice addicted mess and he gets saved and I hope this doesn't offend your sensitivities, but the, the morning he gets baptized, he's like, hell yeah, I'm getting baptized today. You know, it's like, <laughs> praise God. He needed to. You know, he, <laughs> he's excited about it, and that's the way you talk. But, but you know what? He didn't know any better. He was a wreck. He was dead and he ran from his fears to a place where he thought he could hide you know come to think about it Sam and Idaho in the middle of a graveyard in the middle of nowhere eh, kind of <laughs> it's a remote place <laughs> I never will forget the first time I said it was so cool to see you sitting in church next to the cop who arrested you He's like, what? I said, you didn't realize that? You guys sat on the same row at church Sunday. He goes, no way. I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, I was drunk. I'm like, that's true. That's true. It's not much later that he calls me up. He says, you're not going to believe this. And he called the officer by name. He said, he gave me a business card, wrote his home cell, no, home phone number, his cell number on it, and said, you call me anytime, day or night, middle of the night, middle of the night, I don't care what it is. You're my brother in Christ. He goes, I've never had a cop talk to me that way. 
I've never had a cop that was a brother in Christ. I could just talk through so many things. How I saw men pour into that young man. Funniest story ever. He'd been a Christian about eight months. And our students had a youth evangelism conference kind of thing they were going to. And he's like, man, I want to go to that. Can I go to that? And we're like, you're 22 years old, dude. Um, can I be a counselor? <laughs> Don't shake your head no just yet. Possibly one of the dumbest things I've ever done in ministry. I said, yeah, you can. And then I began to pray. Lord, don't let me get fired for this. So Tommy, and I told him, I said, dude, you can't smoke. <laughs> you can't do, you know, I mean, he was getting, he was working. Oh, he was coming so far. I said, you can't cuss. You can't smoke. I mean, the kind of things you tell all of your counselors who go away with your children when they leave. <laughs> and he goes, I'll smoke out behind the hotel, and I won't do it when I'm here and I'm there, and I, and I'm, 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 I'm not going to cuss. And I mean, okay, man, you're going to. The kids that were in the room with Tommy, one of them's like, oh, my mom does this, my mom does that. And he's like, hey, shut up, you got a mom. Oh. And then one, some, one of them says something about his dad, and he's like, you shut up. you got a mom and a dad in the home, and they love you, and you better value that. The parents of the kids who were in Tommy's room were thanking me. They said, our kids came home and walked in the house and hugged us and thanked us for being good parents. And I'm like, yeah, we thought that would happen. That's, that's what we thought. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I did not see that coming. It turns out he would talk to these teenagers about, man, you need to look at what you've got and you need to value it and you need to hang on to it. There's people around you that love you and not everybody has that. God saved Tommy. He was a broken, tattooed, smoking, addicted, prejudiced mess. And he ran into the buzzsaw of Jesus Christ and his love. Your little brother Tommy is today five years clean. I texted him this morning just to say, hey buddy, you're on my mind. I didn't tell him I was going to use him as a sermon illustration. But he knows this has happened before. And I said, you're on my mind. How can I pray for you today? And he's just like, oh, man, hearing from you just made my day. He doesn't live in Salmon anymore. He, he moved away so he could go to college. He's married. He's got two cars that are paid for, doing better than some of you. <laughs> he's got a house. He's got a baby. And he's about to graduate from college. And he wants to go into social work because he says, I know how important it is to have the right people with you when you're at the bottom. That's your brother, Tommy. You're not so messed up that you can't be made whole. And on Father's Day, when that kid texts me, <laughs> uh, it's over for me. 
because I was nowhere near in line. You know, I was just like one of the fourth or fifth or sixth people or whatever. But he knows he came out of the grave to where he's at today. You are not so messed up that you can't be whole. And you can't be healed. That's the goodness of God. Second thing about the goodness of God is closely related. Jesus isn't afraid to get in the middle of your mess. And that's his goodness. He's not afraid to get in the middle of your mess. This guy's life is a mess. If we've got that person on our street in Hattiesburg today, we just don't know what to do with those people. We still don't know what to do with those people. Except marginalize them because we don't know how to normalize. We don't know how to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's just a, such a, it's just such a, it's, it's so much easier just to look the other way and keep going. And you're saying, Phew. I'm a mess, but I'm not that big a mess. That's the whole point. Jesus isn't afraid to get in your mess. And again, I say again because I said something like this yesterday, I guess. I mean, we're cleaned up. We're at church. We're on, we're on church on Monday night. Goodness gracious. If there's extra credit in heaven, this has got to be some of it. There's not, by the way. But, you know. But, I mean, you're at church on a Monday night. Anybody ever gone to church messed up? Anybody ever gone to church running from Jesus? There's a time in my life when I was not following Christ. My little boy was a tiny little booger. My wife and I were separated. And we were as ignorant Actually, the right word is ignorant. We were as ignorant as you could possibly be. I look back and I hate that guy. I look back and I hate that time. My life was a train wreck and I was running from God. And I went to visit my parents three weeks ahead of Easter because I knew if I went three weeks ahead of Easter, I wouldn't have to go to church with them on Easter. I couldn't stand to be at church because I knew I would fall under conviction. I was saved. I'm here to tell you, I was saved. And I knew better. And in my mind, I thought, I cannot go to church with them. I'll go visit them three weeks before Easter. I'm safe. Whew. And on Saturday morning, maybe sometime in the afternoon, my mom said, you want to go to church with us tonight? Sandra's church is putting on their Easter musical. And I'm like, three weeks ahead of time. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. And mom, no way. I came here to avoid this. Don't you know I'm running from God? Joey, I will confess something that I do not believe today. In my mind, I said, it's okay, it's just music. I'm glad God's healed me of that. I, I promise you, I don't think God, 
you know there was still going to be worship leaders in heaven, but nobody there to proclaim. There would be no preachers. It'll be perfect. That's why it's that way. There, there, there no, there's no preachers in heaven, but we're still going to worship, so somebody's going to have to lead. Y'all are good. Trey, Scott and I are out of a job. <laughs> but let me tell you something. As has been my mom and dad's practice forever, we got at that church early so we could sit on the third row in the middle and we were there like an hour before the thing started because my mom wanted to make sure we got a good seat I was so excited and I will tell you this God didn't use a single note of the music and I don't remember any of the service but about 30 minutes before the service started a family came in Mom, dad, two kids, and they sat right in front of us. I had a redheaded son at the time, still do. But there was a little redheaded child about the age of my son stood up on that pew and just turned around and looked at me and stared me in the eyes. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. You may think I'm the weirdest person on the planet for this. I don't care. I'm telling you what God did in my life. As clearly as I'm speaking to you right now, I heard a voice that's not the verse that I hear in my head, and it said, son, you better get your family back together. And I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. And I was convinced of this. He was not going to tell me that twice. I don't know what else they did that night. I'm sure the music was good, but I was done by a toddler in the voice of God but do you not think that's the goodness of God folks I was a wreck I was a mess and I was his child and I was running from him but no different than the prodigal son that night man I came to my senses and I was like my God loves me and my God is about to deal with me harshly and I sat there and I wrote notes to my wife on the back of everything that was possibly in the pew. And I said to her, I know you don't want to hear me right this minute, but God told me we need to get our family back together and we need to work on this. And she's like, yeah, yeah. But here we are. To the glory of God. Listen. You can come to church running from Jesus. You can come to church cleaned up. Scott said it earlier. You came here to please somebody. You came here to appease somebody. You came here because somebody grabbed you by the hair and said, you live in this house, you're going to church. That's okay. The goodness of God says, I can use that. One more thing. Somebody that you've given up on. Somebody that you've quit praying for. Somebody that you've just said, man, I don't know how to deal with that anymore. The goodness of God's still able to reach them too. The goodness of God's still able to reach them as well. These guys were given up on. Anybody, don't raise your hands, but just anybody got a family member and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I quit. 
I give up. I'm done. That's it. Anybody got a neighbor, a friend at work, or anything? The goodness of God can still reach those people. The love of God can still reach those people. We give up because we see things in our own power. We give up because we see things as helpless and hopeless and say there's just nothing. I know this. I don't know anything else. Yeah, I'm just, you know. When we do that, we take the sovereign creator of the universe out of the picture. And we just assume he can't do it. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? When we say it that way, it sounds awful, doesn't it? But we quit on God when we quit on them. Well, I've shared with them before. Okay. I had a lady in Walmart Church one time. She's like 56 years old when she gets saved. And three weeks later, she's in my office and says, My husband is so dumb. And I'm like, what? She goes, I've been telling him about Jesus. He just doesn't get it. I'm like, sweetheart, you're 56 years old before you trust Christ. And you want him to get it in the next three weeks. You know, how about you just cool your jets a little bit here, you know? And he's pastoring a church today. It worked out. It worked out. But once she had seen Christ and knew it, she looked at him and she's like, wow, you got to know this. And it's like... You're talking about how dumb he is. You realize how slow you were. Let's be gracious here for just a moment. And she didn't quit on him. Ha have, you, have you given up on somebody? I said a minute ago, Jesus isn't afraid to get in the middle of your mess. And I think you and I are called to be Christ-like. We might need to re-engage with some messy people. We might need to re-engage with some messy people. We're going to close and we're going to have a time of invitation. And you know, I'm just looking out across the crowd and everybody looks, you just look good. I mean, you look sharp, you sharp looking bunch of folks. When I said a few minutes ago, you aren't too messed up to be made whole, somebody said, that's me. I pray you did. And if that's you, as we start the invitation in just a moment, man, don't even, don't even wait for the words to start. When we start that invitation in just a moment, you come here and you talk to one of these people. And just tell them you need the goodness of God in your life. You need the goodness of God. You need this Jesus in your life. And there's somebody in the room, and maybe more than one, and you know Christ, but you've made a mess of things because that's just what we're good at.
And when I said Jesus isn't afraid to land in the middle of your mess, you just said, man, that's, you realize that's a reoccurring theme of Scripture, right? That's just over and over and over. Why? Because we're messy and we're broken. But when I said Jesus isn't afraid to land in the middle of your mess, you just said, man, that's me. And, and you've been wrestling with this mess and you've tried things or you've ignored things and it's just a mess and you say it's impossible. That's his specialty. We'll hear that tomorrow night. With God, all things are possible. And, and when this invitation starts, you know what? You just need to, you need to come find one of these people or kneel and pray and just go, God, here it is. It's your mess now. It, it's your mess now. And I need, need to, he is okay for you to dump it on him. And get your life and your right, your life and your heart right with him, and and just refresh that relationship. I promise you, as a former prodigal, he will welcome you. He might even do something stupid with you. Say, "Oh, good, I want you to preach." Makes no sense. Don't let that scare you away, though. That's the next step. Don't worry about. It. We'll get there. Finally, when I said it's possible there's somebody in your life you've given up on, I'm just kind of believing there's probably a lot of us in the room who'd say, yeah, I got one of those. Find somebody to pray with you. Find a place at this altar to pray and cry out to God for those people. quite possible you love them deeply and it's easier just to have built a wall and said okay I give up and it might be that God's just going how about you stand in the gap how about you be the one that stands in the gap for that person and, and I'm just going to tell you invite them here tomorrow night just have the audacity to pray for them and say, okay, God, I'm going one more time. Okay, God, I'm listening to you one more time. And God, I, I know they're not going to come, and I know they're not going to respond, and I know they're not going to listen, and I know they're not, and I know they're not, and I know they're not. And you've taken him out of it at that point. God, I'm going to go plead with them one more time. And let's find who God's working in. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I am so glad. I am so blessed and I am so thankful <clears throat> that you've stepped into the middle of my mess. I know enough about this pastor of this church that he could give a testimony just like that. And I know it's the testimony all over Scripture. God, I thank you. There's just no such thing as being so messed up that you'd give up and say, man, I can't even do anything about that. That there's not a person under the sound of my voice, there's not a person who's ever drawn a breath that's so broken or so messed up that their creator would say, I can't mend that. To your glory, Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Because some of us have just gone out of our way to be broken. 
and God, some of the people that we're broken for, refresh our hearts by just knowing that they're not, that you've not given up. And we need to be Christ-like and step back into the brokenness and the mess with the truth and the love of Christ. Father, just help us to be honest with you tonight and transparent with you tonight and respond in obedience to the goodness of our God, to the glory of our Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to worship. I'm going to ask you to respond to what God said to you tonight in obedience to Him and in glory to Him.